Welcome to the Cosmic Salon. I am here with one of the, in my opinion, most amazing men on this planet. And I would like to say I was introduced to Craig's work through Entering the Desert and Cult of Golgotha, and then was on my show, Nox Mente. And so we've been talking back and forth about getting together to do another show. Fortunately for me, it's come down to my new show, The Cosmic Salon. So with that, I'm going to bring Craig on and have him give us a little rundown on who he is. There's so much here in his bio, and all that will be in the show links. But I do, Craig, I want you to give us a little bit of uh, the full rounded stuff. I want to, first of all, congratulate you on becoming a Sifu and Kung Fu. This is <laughs> amazing you. as my practice as well. Wing Chun, it's amazing. It's really a, a, a place of honor. And I know it must have been well fought, you know, yeah. <laughs> years in the making. So welcome. Yeah, well, it's an honor to be on the show. I, lo- I love the title Cosmic Salon too. That's wonderful. And thank you for the compliment on the seafood title. Yeah, I've, I've kind of fought for that since I was 12 years old. So uh, finally, when I was 50, I was awarded <laughs> that title. So you have to be very patient in Kung Fu and, and get a lot of, get a broken nose and some injuries and things like that along the way. So, But it's a really honor to be on your show, and I can't wait for us to have some interesting discussions tonight. Yeah, also give us a little uh, a little background into your Ayurvedic practice and because this is part of when i open this up you know i found you through these amazing books sure the the thing is you unfolded into this really well-rounded amazing person and you're one of the very few craig that i can look out that's a magical practitioner and i can see i can physically see with my own eyes that you are walking the walk that this is this is your magic shows well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored to hear that. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's very interesting. I, I mean, when some, when people ask me to uh, give a bio or something, it, it can be kind of complicated because depending on who you ask, uh, people have a different perception of me. I mean, I'm a practitioner of Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine full-time. Uh, you know, I run a full-time clinic and see patients with health coaching and nutrition Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, um, and also just sports and fitness uh, training as well, too. Um, Then I have a whole part of my life, which is martial arts as a Sifu and teaching and training students in Kung Fu and and martial arts. And then I have this whole other side as a writer of esoteric topics. and, um, And I think fundamentally in my life has been a dedication to the goddess traditions from India um, and that's the majority of where my esoteric writing kind of is rooted in. 
So there's all those worlds that we can we can touch on, and, and that's kind of me in a nutshell. And so it, any we can cover any topics from that, anything you want to talk about. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. I really wanted to present how well-rounded you are, and it there are so many people in the magical realm that are are just one-sided, and this is no slight to anyone else. It it just is. Sure. Sure. Our worlds are are bigger, and I've always said you can see the magic by looking in. So, you know, right. this guru that's in the basement somewhere writing these books with this huge following, and they're 500 pounds, and you, yeah. you know yeah. what I'm saying? There's it's a, a lot of that that are not just following through. I want people like you, I want conversations to be an inspiration for these people that are very adept at say understanding magical arts but to understand that it goes it permeates beyond the physical realm but the physical realm is indeed a reflection of all the rest of it and so we must be able in this realm to see your magic Right. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I think. I think. Unfortunately, it, at least it seems in contemporary times. Although I think it was still happening in the past too, is that a lot of people see esoteric work and occult work and magical work as some type of escapism, um, yeah. and, or what they would call today LARPing or something. And so I think that um, I always strove strive continue to to see that everything that i do on an esoteric level is also reflecting on a mundane level um which is you know the yin and yang of kung fu or chinese medicine or to me it's just fun it's a fundamental part of life well one of the things that i admire and also having the practice of although i haven't had the pleasure of having a sifu near me that is actually taking students uh, and kung fu is is the internal aspect. And we touched upon this in Nox Mente. This actually is, well, this is part of, of understanding how how these things are interrelated, why one fights, why one does something. The right. whole idea of energy manipulation cannot be overlooked. Without a doubt. I, I think that um, the, the whole field of martial arts definitely molded my entire worldview uh, on, on every level. And I was very lucky that I was interested in this as a child, and I was very lucky that I had parents who supported this. And um, I I'll often think that people who don't grasp the intricacies of Kung Fu, I, I feel sorry for them. But also, too, that it, people who try to kind of turn it into some kind of simple physical activity, they're missing the point of that as well, too. Um, so martial arts and Kung Fu and esoteric work should have an internal aspect, but it also should have... A clear, reflective external aspect as well too. So they're both complementary. They both need to be there. Um, and if they're and if they're not, then uh, we can see there's an imbalance. Yeah, absolutely. And it is about that center line and understanding that. I have always found, at least in the praxis, that you see people come in and they just want to kick ass because you know it, it, they saw a current movie that involved Wing Chun or they love Bruce Lee or something about Shaolin and yeah. and then you know they do always kind of fall away don't you think yeah yeah i mean i think so too i mean i will confess i, I mean i love to fight personal thing i love the engagement of martial arts 
I love the physicality of it. I love that how when you fight, you learn a lot about yourself. However, that's just a very, very surface level part of it. Um, the, the, the other parts of it are deep, spiritual, psychological, philosophical engagement with who you are and engagement with your karmic connection to your Sifu, the world, your school, the lineage, and all these things kind of are tributaries that branch out from that. And so I think, it, it, you know, all parts that can engage with it as well, too. But um, I never belittle the fighting part because I, I do enjoy that as well, too. But that's part of it. To me, the metaphor of fighting is a metaphor for literally engaging in the physical existence. I agree. Well, the fighting is why I got into it as well. And but and then I I quickly learned that there was, you know, immediately I'm, you're inundated with like the story of Nagmai and and the, right. the Shaolin Temple and all this and what and that whole idea while you're learning the exercises and the practices and right. all this. So it's all in conjunction and that is lacking in other practices. I do love fighting as well and grappling. I like being a having the ability that it affords me, especially as a woman in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. The training there gave me more than I expected. And that was what was so surprising in the beginning when I started that journey. Yeah. To me, it's always very beautiful when you see people who have that breakthrough and they see that they're, they're having an experience of personal transformation or some type of internal alchemy that's occurring Um, in a way that they didn't expect it. And to me, that's the one of the most rewarding parts about teaching. And you are very correct. And I think it's particularly important for women because women often don't necessarily grow up engaged in a physical culture. Um, um, Hopefully they they will, uh, whether it's a sports or a martial arts, but it's incredibly rewarding to do that. um, And it's incredibly fruitful to have some kind of connection to that as well, too. So uh, it's wonderful that you were able to to discover that and find them. Yeah, my mother was very instrumental in my life as little as she was in my life. But she said so many key things to me. She was a very beautiful woman. She was the goddess to me. She was truly a beautiful woman. And she always said, it's better to be funny than pretty. And it's, and it's better to be tough than funny in, um, when it comes to being on the street. <laughs> you right. know, she's, like yeah, like she, your mom. she had her Kung Fu in her own way. But yeah. it was, yeah. you know, she really instilled that. And I saw this happen many times. And we got carjacked one time by four people in San Francisco. They treated me so delicately, the guys pulling me out, two of them, that my, the beret on my head did not even come off, but they opened her side of the door and were punching her and, you know, yeah, fucking yeah. white bitches and all this. And they were yeah. grabbing and yeah. she was so tough. She, she managed to get the clutch. This was an automatic grab me, get going. They got her purse and her hat, but she got us out of that situation because of her training and, and, uh, ability to not panic in a situation and that of course is a role model and that is something i took forward into my life she could have just given up we could have it could have been a whole different scenario but this was physical training yeah i mean the the whole metaphor of situational awareness has so many ways we can connect that to esoteric practice spiritual practice and just our engagement with the world and i think that you know people often throw around the word 
privilege today. Yeah. That seems to be a, a cool word word <laughs> to throw around. And uh, you know, people often act like that, you know, that 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 you know, this privilege or that privilege. But actually if someone thinks that they don't have to worry about defending themselves, that's one of the most grotesque privileges I've ever heard of. Um, because that's the most fundamental things we should be able to do for ourselves, <clears throat> for our family, for our friends, is just to be able to protect ourselves. And yeah. I, I think that's a great story um, because most people don't plan on their evening uh, to be uh, including a carjacking. Oh, yeah. And they right. I mean, they got in. She left San Francisco with big black eyes and, you know, I mean, they got her, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but they did not get us. It was so funny. I thought it was interesting that they I had lived in that neighborhood and they I think they they called me Snow Bunny. This is a long time ago. But for some reason, I don't know why they treated me so delicately. Like the guy grabbed my waist and was just gingerly pulling Matt. It was bizarre. And in these moments that often happen for me in life when there's something acute going on, time yeah. time slows down. And right. I, no, absolutely. Have you experienced that where you're just recording oh, yeah. everything? Yeah, you get a different perception of time. Um, that's very common. You see that both in fighting and, and you can see it both in like really significant experiences whether it's like a car crash or a, mm-hmm. yes. you know something like that you'll see a different perception of rea- of well different perception of reality but essentially it's a different perception of time well in in that slowing you actually get the ability if you're calm this is for if people who don't panic but That's in with this ability whatever that is you are in between the worlds and have the ability to actually react and change the energetic field in the way you would see in like in Marvel comics and stuff. I mean, it slows down to that degree where you could, you can actually see what's going on. Oh, without a doubt. I think that's one of the important parts about, you know, Kung Fu and Kung Fu and martial arts training is essentially about learning to learning to adapt to parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system responses, which is which is what yin and yang is from, you know, what people like to use the word, quote, science today. That's essentially what it is. It's learning to become adaptable to yeah. each situation and, and to be present in that situation and to react accordingly. And that takes training um, just as much as yoga or tantra or anything else takes training. It's the same thing with martial arts. Oh, absolutely. That's the key. Devotion is what I call it. Devotion to a practice. Whatever Mm -hmm. that practice is, a very big idea. Absolutely. So moving into your practice with old natural ways of healing, how Mm -hmm. did you find yourself on that particular trajectory? That's a good question. I think that, you know, when I was a young child, I mean, extremely young, around nine or 10, I was really obsessed and interested in cultures from India and then cultures from China and in particular the martial arts, but also the philosophies. And um, I was very, very grateful to have a mother who really encouraged that. Um, much like you, I, uh, I, can, I often say that I owe everything to my mother, mm. her, her just openness to my ideas and or providing me with a certain type of education. And so when I was younger, I just kind of obsessed with that. And so both, and so it kind of, I started studying the Bhagavad Gita around the age of 10 or 11 
and, and started studying my martial arts and Kung Fu and Taoism when I was a young child. And then it just expanded as I got older. When I went into college, I was very interested in philosophy and religious studies, but also medicine as well. Eventually, after getting degrees in philosophy and religious studies and English literature, I went into pre-med and then eventually became inspired by Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. I kind of fell in love with both. And so I studied both, uh, both going to China and to India to study both systems. I, and I just kind of loved them both and spent essentially my entire life studying them and, and then eventually went into private practice with that. Um, so that's, that's it in a nutshell. And so the, my martial arts training, my training in Chinese medicine, my training in Ayurveda, my training in yoga, Ayurveda, Jyotish, uh, Vedanta, all those things are kind of overall happening at once. And, and I was very lucky, actually, because of my background in philosophy and religious studies that my teachers from India and my teachers from China opened up to me more than your average Westerner because I had a, a different philosophical and spiritual background going into it. Um, so I was very lucky with, or lucky, I just call it karma. Yeah, right. You're uh, synchronistically yeah. on that. Yeah. So along this pathway, how yeah. did the goddess come into your, onto your path? How did you, she descend into your life? Well, you know, I can be, I'll be very honest with you. My experience with the goddess were with radical, <clears throat> extremely disturbing paranormal experiences as a child. And so at the time when I was very young, I had, I, I would call it extreme experiences with visions of the goddess for various aspects of the dark goddess. And at the time <clears throat> I didn't particularly understand it, but it definitely radically changed my perception of reality. That's why I often say, I've said it in my books and I've said it in some of my essays and interviews, I often say, you know, the goddess chose me. I didn't choose the goddess. Mm -hmm. um, and, so the, and so I had some very strange experiences as a child. And then as a result of that, that led me to a deep dedication to studying Hinduism and Vedic studies. And to me, it was just, it became very natural uh, of a path to go and and that, that's essentially how that happened with that. And then as a time after that, it just kind of spontaneously opened up from there. And I have a deep love for all many different types of esoteric practices. People can look at my, my body of work from tantric physics. And of course, the new, the, you know, the new tantric physics will be out fairly soon, um, which is tantric physics volume one and volume two. Uh, but then I have other esoteric writings that I loved different types of esoteric systems. But essentially, I'm a practicing Hindu an agoric initiated and so that's kind of where everything comes from that's all rooted in the worship of the goddess that's essentially it in a nutshell and it's in these books that i just continue to inspire people to get their hands on entering the desert and Gotha because they're mm -hmm. they're amazing absolutely amazing thank you, thank you. Thank and, you so much. and you know this i'm an avid reader and and i've devoted my life well i don't even want to say that my life i came in as as an aspect of the dark goddess and my life has just revolved around honoring that. Yeah. And so, you know, having had a temple and dedicating services and all this stuff years ago, uh, it's, it's nice to encounter it. And this is the thing that I was saying earlier. I have the ability and everyone else has this ability as well, but I'm coming from my, zero point here to look in and see where 
where she's being fed. Sure. And you know what I mean by that. Mm-hmm, and, absolutely. And so there's a certain air that illuminates around those that have the kiss of, of a, in particular, the, the dark aspect of the goddess, mm-hmm. which, which is not, we need to strip that away from the modern vernacular of, right. of Instagram right. and Hot Topic. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, I mean that's 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 one of the problems. And you know, I used to a lot of people think I'm that I was very critical about that, and I'm I'm, I'm very I would say I'm not necessarily so much critical as I'm just honest yeah. about yeah. some of the some of the problems that we see, and I've written extensively in Entering the Desert about that. Yeah, about you know, kind of naively looking at these cultures. But you're right; we th- those are definitely we often have very naive infantile cultural views of the goddess oh yeah if you are courting her she indeed will bestow herself upon you and then you will experience her in her fullness and and so this is where where people should walk with a certain sense of reverence right yeah i know i want i 100 agree i wanted to dig in a little bit on some things from Cult of Golgotha because I didn't get some of that in the Nox, oh, wonderful. Noxmente experience. There are a couple things here. And so I, having read it and having it right next to me here, I am hoping that you'll just fill in the blanks here. So yeah, for people, and it's for people coming to this material that don't know it. Quantum dimensions of experience and the idea of, in particular, I'll pull the page, 155 in the Cult of Golgotha. And, okay. and there's so much here that's just absolutely amazing, but very provocative. And I can see some people being afraid of the idea. The flesh eating idea is a concept and sure. the eating of awareness is a concept. So could you dive sure. into that a bit for us? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the fundamental concept behind the cult of Gotha was that I was I wanted to put out a work that contained a type of expression of all the different varied esoteric practices that influenced me, literally from a child up until my age now, um, and then partly Michael Bertrand had required asked me to write something like that. So, and so did Reg, Dr. Reginald Crosley, who uh, was very inspirational to me. And so I thought I would honor both of them by kind of putting that book out. And then that book, each chapter is basically a, a different kind of room in my, what I like to call it, in, in, a type of Gnostic nostalgia. It's going back in time in my life and looking at all the different things that influenced me and molded me. Um, outside of just pure Hinduism, um, because we, because ex- our personalities, our lives, our karma exist in, in multiple time streams, multiple dimensions that are constantly going on. And so I wanted to kind of reflect with that. And so I think that, and another thing I wanted to touch in that book was the idea of the um, consciousness and how the, our consciousness can be controlled, how uh, different kind of things can feed off our consciousness so we can go into any chapter, any concept you want to in that book. The, the book was a, a little bit complex. Um, it, it definitely is not a beginner's book. 
but it's definitely easily accessible in the sense that anyone can read it and find connections in there. And, 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 and essentially it was, I was trying to inspire people to, to look back over their life, to see the different things they may have studied and practiced and to find uh, some type of thread in there, um, some kind of thread that was leading them to different things uh, and, and to see how we can connect our, our life is essentially a pranic web of karmic experiences and the more that we can see that, then the more we can kind of honor the goddess, live a life of just kind of letting our karma play out without being afraid or obsessed with things. So I don't know if that answered your question, but we can go into anything in that book I'm more than happy to talk about. Let's dive into the idea of feeding upon awareness. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that's a problem today is that, is that we see that um, whether it's through the media or whether it's through cults of personality, or whether it's through politics, or whether it's through entertainment industries. Like most people, give away their awareness. They're they're more than willing to offer up their awareness, and you know, like I said, you know, we become food for the moon. Yes. So I think people really need to be aware of of what not only what they're they're feeding themselves, but of what they're allowing th- themselves to feed others. Um, and so, the, and, and the people don't realize that this is happening on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, I see this consistently as a medical practitioner that people are constantly having depression, anxiety, or fatigue, um, all the time because they're just being drained from different sources. They're being drained by technology, which is, spo- which is supposed to make their lives better. They're being drained by media, which is supposed to inform them. And then potentially they're being drained by just a very mundane level of reality with friends or things like that. So I think this idea of this consumption of consciousness is a very important thing to consider. What that essentially comes from is this Vedic idea, which comes from the Srimad Bhagavatam called Jiva Jivasana Jivanam, which means life feeds on life. Yes. That's essentially what that comes from. So part of it's just a fundamental aspect of earthly existence, like Everything is feeding off everything constantly. That, that, that's essentially how this works. So we can't stop that, but we but we can become aware, much like samsara, our cycle of existence. We can we can at least become aware of the dynamics of it, how it's happening, and then we can start to understand like how much we want to engage with that on, on the conscious level and how much we want to ignore it um, at our own peril. Um, you know, something very simple as an example is like, you know, so, so I'm 50 years old, right? And so I remember being in college, not having email, not having a cell phone, having to go to the basement at Louisiana State University Library and use microfiche to read the Gospel of Thomas. Yes. Oh, uh, it's a great right? book. Yeah. So, I had, so that's where that's, so it, was, it was just translated. It was yeah. like a library share from some library in New York, and it was microfiche. So now we just pull that up on our iPhone, like it's like it's nothing, or it's just at our local store. And so people don't understand how technology is changing and is allowing them access, or they give up certain levels of of, of their consciousness. And so I think we just have to become aware of that. Um, and I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti that, but it just the idea of just being aware of it, just as like now, you know, when I grew up as a child, I was very active. I was very energetic. I love martial arts. 
So my so my wonderful mother and father put me into martial arts, put me into kung fu, put me into karate, put me into long distance running, put me into soccer, and they didn't put me on Ritalin. Yes. And so so today, most likely a young boy would be put on drugs. Yeah. Or Ritalin with that too. So I think that we I just have a different you know I was able to see the transition of that. So these are topics which are very fascinating to me. But, you know, how consciousness is being shifted, morphed. Uh, and I think we, we just need to be aware of that and, and, and to maybe essentially sometimes slow down and to be sure we know what we're doing before we do it. This is a very intriguing uh, avenue to explore that I keep I keep it on the surface and I keep it on the table for people because as we look at the you know the new generation that are the babies and toddlers they're called the alphas right 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 and i find that intriguing with the idea of where tech is right now and, and sure. as anyone that follows me and listens to me understands that because of my idea of timelines i believe we already had the event horizon of singularity and we're in causality loops Sure. It doesn't matter where you are. At some point in time, that happens. Yeah, yeah. And so, and at some point, for people that are, I'd say, millennials and above, understand or have noticed if they're in observance of the space around them, including the inner space, that there has been a lot of different shifts that have gone on, especially since... Uh, easily 2000, but 2012 certainly was a genetic, uh, listen to me, a genetic, was an energetic shift because of the egregore of it. Sure, sure, yeah. And and so here we are with these causality loops moving through all the dimensions and, and backwards and forwards and sideways and then we have the alpha generation that is evolving to the, their flesh is actually evolving to these new uh, waves that we're being mm-hmm. subject to, and then their children will, and they're becoming more cyborg-like, right? And without right. their even knowing, so they're coming into a whole different yeah. world, and we represent an older world where things were more natural. Granted. We were dramatically different from our grandparents that were, sure, in, you know, sure. in the late Edwardian period, probably. Right, right, right. But that was still a slow transition from there to here. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the keys is the transition was slower. Yeah. So with that said, and you already addressed this. Everyone has access to all this information now all the time. When I was young and making films and doing all kinds of print work and all the stuff I was involved in, it was a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of money. Everything was analog. Yeah, yeah. And to, and also in college, we had to read books rather than watch videos. We oh, had, yeah. You know, all this, we had to access uh, films and microfilms and, and everything. So... For that, I think the tech is fantastic. However, sure. there has been a split in the egg. And yes. the egg is, the yolk is everywhere now. Yeah. And so with that, I have found that the dance of the sacred spinning 
the tears from the Black Madonna or the Lady of Sorrows have a deeper meaning now. There is this idea of once you eat the fruit from the tree that has been fed of the blood of the sacrifice, there is an idea, an aspect of what what one talks about when eating the flesh and eating awareness that is a reverence for how the processes move forward, both inner and outer. And this is one of the concepts I wanted to explore in the in the digital realm yeah. with, with the alpha generation. What do you think is going, what is this going to turn into? How do you think in 20 years these this generation with all the manipulation going on and the way the flesh is actually being transformed transhumanism without even it's in the air it's everywhere now it's happening without choice we are there no that's a good question that's another reason why i wanted to write cult of yugatha was to actually bring up some of these concerns albeit in a more esoteric level Yes. Um, about how the consciousness was being could, could is being manipulated and potentially being manipulated. To me, it's very concerning. <clears throat> to me, I see a lot of factors. I see um, a radical disconnection from the physical health. Most people today uh, don't feel that physical health and vitality is important, and that's concerning to me as a medical practitioner. But it's also concerning to me as just a human. Um, and then I, I think that the dependence on technology is concerning in the sense that people aren't relying on memory anymore. For example, my teachers in India, when I was studying Ayurveda or still study Ayurveda, the, the, the idea of the, the memory was so important. Like my teachers in India would demand that I would memorize extensive texts. Uh, and they would say things like, it's, if you have to look it up, it's like money that's owed you. Mm. You don't have it. And so I would be like always just like paranoid, like I have to memorize these pages. And I would get to the point where I would I would get and it was very good. Right. It would get to the point where I could so that my teacher would say, what's on page 15 of this textbook? And I could in my mind go to page 15, paragraph four. And I developed that. And, and we would see young children in India at the age of five or six starting to recite 10 you know, parts of the Rig Veda mm-hmm. out of memory. In Sanskrit, we call that smadrana, smadrana shakti, which means the ability to memorize things and put it in your memory, and then it changes you. That that's, It was like you were consuming something into your nervous system, into your brain, and as a result of that, it was changing you. Mm-hmm. So now, now it seems to me that a lot of people now don't do that. They say, why do I need to do that? I can just look it up on my phone. So that's concerning to me because when we do that, we change ourselves. It's, it's part of the alchemy. What we read, we learn. It's like common core education. Mm-hmm. They would say, like, we don't need to read the whole Faulkner book anymore. <laughs> we just can read an excerpt so the students can get an excerpt of what F. Scott Fitzgerald's like, an excerpt <laughs> of what Faulkner's like. When I was younger, we, read, we had to read all the Faulkner books, all the Fitzgerald books. Yeah, same. And so I think that to me is, my, is the concern for me. It's not that, that, that we are saying that the time was better, different things. Time is always changing. We, hopefully we always get improvements. There's always some parts that are getting better. That's wonderful. It's like medicine. We're getting better. We're figuring out things. We're learning things. 
But we hope, but as we talked earlier, depending on the speed of that, if we're rapidly changing, rapidly moving, we don't even get a, a chance to orient ourselves or, what, or how I like to refer it. We don't get a chance to even digest what we've eaten. Then that's the problem at that point. We have to, you know, it's like we have to slow down and be able to read something slowly, think about it, discuss it, digest it, and then move on. But now, I mean, we see that with articles on the internet. Now the big thing on the internet is for clickbait is to say, here's an article. It takes 11 minutes to read. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's not cool. I remember <laughs> I, I, I recently, you know, on shared an article. I mean, like it was, it was about a month ago. It was very wonderful article about uh, COVID and coronavirus. And it was like a 14 minute read. And one of my friends was like, that's just too long. I can't read that. Oh dear. You know, and I'm like, this is defecting, this is affecting your entire life. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's four, 14 minutes. You spend hours a week watching The Sopranos, yes. watching Grey's Anatomy, watching whatever it is that you're watching, which is fine. I, you know, I enjoy television as well, too. Not as much as maybe some, but I do I enjoy it. I'm not a Mennonite. I don't sit around and not watch things. But the point being is that I think the pace can be concerning now. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, the the further into this we get, the deeper in we get. I don't know. It's almost overwhelming. In a, it can be overwhelming. It can be for some. Yeah. I mean, uh, poetry's down to flash poetry, flash yeah. fiction, yeah. flash everything. I, I agree. Yeah. No. And and you know, coming from a background in literature, for me, um, very that's a very passionate part. And I you know I, I often wonder. Now, like, you know, no one I know reads poetry anymore. Yeah. No, no one I know reads literature anymore. And, and that's troubling to me. But then sometimes I say, well, but you were an English literature geek. So maybe that's just that. Um, but then other parts of me, like, I was saying, no, that's just kind of normal. That's a, a definite part of cultivating, my, you know, different levels of perception and, and education and reality and um, and so I think that's, it can be disturbing, um, for sure. Well, there's uh, one of the, one of the things that I found, you know, I'm always keeping this in at my zero point. I always found the beauty in the synthesis of material. So when you read the heart of darkness, you are going into a world and, yeah. and, and with multi layers. So really what is the heart of darkness? Is it, is it our female? Is it the river? You know, I mean, yeah. it, this idea of traversing uh, metaphor and allegory and finding narrative where it's not blatant in your face is an art. And this is part of a greater process of unfolding. I agree. And it's very funny that you bring that up because I was talking with a, a younger friend today who was not aware that Apocalypse Now was based on Heart of Darkness. Oh, no. <laughs> and, so, and so I was connecting in that and I was telling him that. And and um, and, I, and I, I remembered when I first read Heart of Darkness and how much Joseph Conrad's work really af affected me. Yes, me and, too. But it, but it also took me into... I remember the visceral aspect of going into that world and the, his descriptive lit writing, and and of course that influenced my writing. I mean, I, that that you know how we can use writing as a magical tool, um, and that so it's very important. And, and that's when I started thinking. It's like people now aren't able to learn to read a trajectory. 
Right. They're not able to, they, they, they can't understand allegory, nuance, um, subtlety, ambiguity, mm-hmm. <clears throat> all these things that we learn when we read literature. You know, when we read good literature, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I was about to say not Stephen King or Danielle Steele. Right, right. I'm not necessarily being like elitist in the sense of saying that they're horrible writers, they're very successful writers. But in the sense of maybe writing that challenges us in the sense that everything isn't perfect. We didn't expect that ending. We didn't expect that character to do that. Yeah. The good guy was also kind of nice and the good guy was also kind of bad. These things are very important for us to explore. Um, and, and I think that the less people do that now, and then the more they just kind of believe that there's going to be this fantasy land where everything is taken care of and everything is perfect and there's never going to be any troubling engagement with the reality. Um, that, that if somebody says something that's, that's inspiring, they can also be an asshole. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they can also be a monster um, and, and create something beautiful. Yes. And that's just how life is. And, um, and I think that so that worries me sometimes. I see that now. How that's changing. It's, I'm noticing it, if we look at it psychologically, I'm noticing it in the state of cultural cannibalism, as I'm calling it right now, that's happening all over the globe. Yeah. And it is, it's apparent to me that this stuff is not being, people haven't been exposed to, say, that type of, uh, narrative to the depth narrative to the idea of of synthesis as i was saying earlier and and so all of this is getting projected outward which is part of what's created this cultural cannibalism we these stories by great great masters are there in part to help us and, and even if they didn't know this writing it they are there to help us move through the psychological content of our own selves. Oh, absolutely. And so yeah, that's what yeah. that's part of what's happening here, don't you think? Oh no, no I, totally, I totally agree because um, I thought about that a lot recently because with all the cultural things going on, with everything happening that we're seeing um, right now, with whether it's um, you know, social criticism. And I remember I was talking to some friends of mine and I was, you know, with a literature background, I loved like, I loved like James Baldwin's writing and Ralph mm-hmm. Ellison's writing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was, I mentioned the book invisible man to a friend of mine who was old enough to know it. And they were like, who is that? Who, who's, who's Ralph Ellison? Who's James Baldwin? And I was Dear. like, I was like, what? But they knew who, Con- <laughs> but they knew who Kanye West was and they knew who, you know, which is fine. I mean, there's no slight to Kanye West. Yeah. It's not like, a no, judgment. No, but I was like, okay, you've got to read, you know, the invisible man. You've got to look at James Baldwin's huge body of work. And then the same thing too, is like, you know, I'm a, like, I don't talk about this publicly a lot, but one of the deepest influences on me as a writer is, is the writer Gertrude, Gertrude Stein, mm-hmm. her ideas about, linguistics and consciousness radically affected me as a young person. And so I often ask my friends, have you read Gertrude Stein? And they'll be like, no, you know, but I've seen Oprah or I've seen, you know, something else. And which is once again, not a 
an attack on that person, but that I'm like, oh, there's a literally there's a literary deficit here. Yeah. Why is this happening? And that's the whole thing. It's like it's like it's very sad to me. Um, and I often sometimes wonder, okay, is that because I have a degree in English literature? I'm like, no, that's not it because it's something else more going on with that. And because now you could Google Ralph Ellison, James Baldwin, and Gertrude Stein and get everything on your iPhone in a second. Yeah, right there's there. no excuse. There's no excuse for it. You can have all of it yeah. right there. And so, and I recently had a friend who said to me, a younger person, I'm 50, they were in their early 30s. They said, the world's never been as horrible as it, as it is now. And I said, whoa, you, I, <laughs> you have no, and this person, at, and, and it was very funny because at the, at the time this person in the same conversation had said, oh, I really like the doors. And I said, oh, you should see this documentary about the doors that, that, is, that takes it through each Doors album and shows what was happening in America at the time, right? It was, yes. and, and I was like, it's, you would like this. And, and I was mainly wanting them to watch it to see how insane it was at the time, like, you know, Vietnam War, um, you know, the shootings at college campuses. and, and um, Putting it she, into context to the time. Yeah. And yeah. she had no idea. She was like, oh, my God. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> There was a president shot on television. There was a, a, an extensive war that was every night on TV brutally shown. Like it was pretty crazy, you know. It was there was never this golden age that, that we didn't have bad things happening. Yeah. And I, but in my mind, I thought, how did they not know this? How did yeah. they not know about JFK and the Vietnam War and people shot on campus and songs for dead in, in Ohio. All these oh, things yeah. that I just took for granted as a kid growing up, that, that you know, but they were not connected to it, and and that, that worries me, you know, for sure. Sometimes, and uh, and I, I don't, I don't have a great grandiose answer for how to solve that. Um, but this is these are that's the roots of the tree, and a lot of time where we are where we are now is people just want the fruit, and just yeah, like in true. our food supply, everyone can go to the local market and get the fruit. Yes. And it's out of season and, you know, it's all accessible. That's a good, that's a very good analogy, actually. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I love, and I, I speak about this a lot with art and literature, literature, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, is, is that as an artist, I, I like to present my work and not tell you about it. I want you yeah, to have your right. experience with it. And then like all great art, if you want, not that I'm saying my art's great, but like all, all art, if you want to know more, then, then you start looking, you listen to a song, right. you want to know who produced right. this, what are their influences instead of what now is happening in the modern world of art is you're, you're confronted, you're like bombarded with all these the for artist statement and this represents that and this right and i just want to get to the kernel and, yeah. and that is i i'm constantly in critique of this and i had just yeah. recently re-gone to art school here in close to portland i'm i'm close to portland in portland having not been in art school in a very long time right. noticing the changes first of all painting was my thing in the beginning of my painting career we had to learn the masters. We had to yeah. learn yes. all of that stuff, what the context is and how the evolution happened. And then you get right. to the techniques of chiaroscuro and line and edge and 
all this at so juxtaposition that to my modern day experience at a, a well-known and a very old art school in the United States where there was no context to to master's classes at all. None, none, absolutely not. And there were a couple old school painters there that were still trying to, teachers that were still trying to instill that. Everyone wanted to come in and basically, um, oh dear, Uh, it's hard for me. I have to step back a lot. They, no one had an appreciation for really the transition of how how we got to where we are because craig they're not being taught now the master's classes they are at some some call you can still go to italy and get that and stuff but in general at the modern art schools that stuff's just not being taught anymore and so what i'm saying here though is this is where we are the context is lost the idea of this is a bigger perspective in our culture so we're detached from the roots of the tree. Right. And then on the same tree, in the same analogy, which we all are are feeding from, the, the great mother tree, this fruit is different from that fruit. And then y- y- without concept that these fruits came from the same tree. And so we have that whole idea of, we talked about it earlier, or, or it got skimped over, but this idea of privilege and not in a, uh, in a political sense, in, right, in right. a perspective of where you are at your zero point, my fruit is better than your fruit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, sure. and, and so, and sure enough, if you take a seed from each one, you're going to get different. You're going to get different trees, but they're yeah, still absolutely. from the mother tree. No, absolutely, and I think those are important concepts to think about. A, um, I think that we learn. I mean, this is a big theme of mine about being immersed in tradition, but then also being able to evolve it. And whether it's through Vedic studies, Tantra, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, even modern medicine, modern martial arts, ancient martial arts, what, when you would saw, when you would see radical evolutions, it was rarely from someone who was just some radical brat who didn't want to learn anything usually it was someone who had immersed themselves in the tradition learned the basic skeleton and then saw something unique and evolved it and then, and then they and then as a result of that they were respected someone was saying like oh it's like it's like winston marsalis mm-hmm. winston marsalis can talk about jazz and cutting as jazz and breaking boundaries because everyone who looks at his body of work knows this guy has studied everything. He, he, he respects everything. So when he talks now, we'll listen to that. As opposed to some random person who showed up and said, I don't need to take any music classes because the whole music school and the whole history of music is privileged and gross. So I'm just going to make up my own scales. It's like, that's probably not going to work. Um, so that I think that's the thing. It's like we can take tradition and we can take tradition and with all the ambiguity all the horror that it has, all the beauty that it has, learn all that and then evolve. That's part of the human experience. 
That was yeah. one of the things that when I first entered college, and I entered it late. Uh, you know, I was a rebel. I was always doing my own thing. I never mm-hmm. liked regurgitating. Uh, and so, and I had, you know, I had skewed ideas about all this, but when I started to encounter really great professors, uh, this was one of the gifts I received. I still think about it is you take the knowledge of everything before you and that's when you push off. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you have, no, you you fed the roots. You be, you went down and you got into and enmeshed and entangled yourself within those roots and became part of those roots. No, there's no way around that. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of like the, um, it's kind of like saying like, I want to be a master or, or even just like decently good at martial arts, but I never want to get hit and I never want to experience any pain. <laughs> And I never want to be challenged. It's, it just doesn't exist. We'd have to say like that you need to do something else. Um, and, and just like life, it's like we go through life. We want to say, I never want anyone to experience any pain. I never want anyone to die or suffer at all. Yeah. As a, as a practitioner of medicine, I strive to help people to stop their suffering. Yes. Uh, but that's not, but we, but I'm also, I know the reality is that that's not going to always happen for a new a huge amount of reasons. And that eventually we all have our own karma that no matter what you do, some things are just going to happen no matter how much we try to do that. Um, yeah, and that's like another metaphor of like, you know, when I was growing up when, you know, when I, when I was growing up, my mom would say like, See you when, when it gets dark. You have to be back for yes. dinner. Yes, <laughs> I remember. Yeah, you know, totally. that, that was the rule. I knew I had to be back for dinner. And <laughs> other than that, I was just gone. Yeah. And then now that's just unheard of. Oh, you know? oh my God. It's been unheard of for a while. Right. You, you know, know, this is this is one of the things, though, when we when we look at this maya we're in so people don't want the pain they want instant learning so here we are vr that the you know i recently saw a a meme with the sims saying i know this sounds crazy guys but i think we're in a sim oh yeah you know and so you can go into virtual reality rooms and spaces now and it started with things like second life and all this and and start experiencing these these things you want to experience you yearn to experience but you do not want to put the devotion of practice in yeah yeah and where and where and you were going deeper into this craig yeah we're spiraling into the wally world or into yeah that's a big that's a big point yeah that's a huge point that now that's the point where I start really kind of like um, pulling up words like from my Vedic training, like these are the asuric forces, the forces of darkness that seek to oppress consciousness. Or we can pull from Rudolf Steiner and say, this is the Aramonic forces which yes. seek to homogenize and commodify and fundamentalize all of consciousness. But there's only one right answer. And if you don't believe in that one answer, then you are, I mean, pick your term, garbage, horrible, deplorable, mm-hmm. racist, mm-hmm. whatever is term that comes into thing. And so then that's troubling to me, you know, uh, for sure. 
and I, and I do agree with you on that. That that's a that's a very troubling aspect um, that we that we're seeing now. And I, and I think that I think there's not necessarily a huge answer, but to me, the start is just to have these discussions. Yes, absolutely. If we can just have if we can just have this dialogue. That's a huge uh, positive sign. Like now, some people won't even have the dialogue. Right? They're like. I won't even like. I'll give you for an example. Like, I love having a wide array of friends. I love having friends that have crazy beliefs and super normal beliefs, and and I just find that very stimulating in my life to have you know a spectrum of friends. And some people like think that's a problem, right? Oh, you're you're a friend with this person because <laughs> they believe this, and that means you are. I think the term now is they say things like, oh, you're adjacent to this person. That means you also, you're also problematic, right? These are these like new lingo, right? Yes. Like, you're, you, oh, Craig has an adjacency to X. <laughs> that means he's a horrible person. But, you know, you're like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, so they want everyone to leave these like, and, and to me, the thing that's ironic about this is that they all act like fundamentalist Christians. Yes. Even though, even though they say they hate Christianity, they end up being just like total radical Christians who only believe one way and only one thing and this, that's the other. And so it's, or, or you actually not even Christian, you could say Abrahamic religion, yeah. right? whatever yes. from that. that, that would be fine. So to me, I think that's, that's troubling that you can say like, you know, cause I have a bunch of wild and crazy friends and I have very normal friends and I found that very inspiring to me. And anyone who, who looked in my life would say, Oh, Craig's a pretty boring Hindu who likes martial arts. It's, it's, it's nothing big, but to the other people see, Oh, that means he's friends with this person or he's mm-hmm. friends with that. That means this, they have no clue. Yeah. They have no clue. But I think that's part of what we're talking about. They, they can't see nuance they can't see any kind of gray areas. They don't right. know any spectrum of trajectory of knowledge. Um, you know, it's it's just it's kind of sad. You know, if if any writer ever did something horrible, then we must just burn all their books. If anybody, if any, you know, that, like I recently had a you know friend who was saying something about some musician. They're like, oh. I heard that person, you know, you know, was a was a horrible person, and I was like, yeah. this musician was touring in the seventies in the seventies. I was like, if you only knew what was happening in the seventies on tour, yeah, you know, and, and there was like, what? And I was like, just forget it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just like, they just, they don't even understand. I was like this, you can't go back and impose those things. So I think that's, that's troubling to me, it's, but we're, you know, but we're back to what you said. They can't see a trajectory. They can't see it. Oh, absolutely not. I'm also encountering this and I've been, I've been speaking on it recently in, in the last few conversations I've been having or chats again, I'm trying to get away from that word conversation. Um, And it, it is troubling to me as well because I, like you have a myriad of interests and right. an absolute smorgasbord of friends that are yeah. completely, absolutely around the whole spectrum. Right. And, and, and this idea of association that I should, first of all, that I should 
should not associate with somebody sparks my rebel gene. Like, it's like, Oh really? And uh, how do you get to, how do you get to be a rounded individual? If you are not exposed to as much as you can possibly be exposed to exposure is such an important thing. Right. And I've been hearing these conversations and that in this context, that is the perfect word for this, where people are throwing out, I cannot recall where it was, perhaps last night, uh, where people are throwing out whole bodies of work. Like, so the Carlos Castaneda stuff. The, oh, oh, he's a goodness. charlatan. He's a charlatan. He started about that. I know. It's totally. like, how can you not take, whether he's a charlatan or not, to separate whatever you think about him from this amazing body of work he presented? I totally, yes, 100%. And so, I mean, this is terrifying to me on one sense. And this is part of what I'm calling cultural cannibalism because it's it's absolutely 100% affecting when we're tearing down art, when we're when we're burning books one way or another, right, when right. when we're telling other people what they can and cannot be associated to and with Yes, uh, we are in dangerous water, and that's why I keep coming up with that cultural cannibalism and this idea of feeding the tree. The tree's not being fed. This is where, this is where we're in a psychic drought. We're in a spiritual drought. We're in a cultural drought, and the tree is dying. I in totally essence. agree. One of the things that I noticed in uh, my little. I actually had to drop out of PCNA because I couldn't take the culture there. And the friends I did make that were all very, they're in their, you know, coming right out of high school or something. Sure, sure. Except for the ones my age that were getting masters and stuff. And all of the ones that I ended up being good friends with, because they love me. People, I, you know, it's a magnetic energy. We, we yeah. all have it to a different degree. And I, I attract certain people. Well, I attracted these wonderful, the wonderful people I'm around, but they were always giving me the pass because I sure. trailblazed, Craig. Sure. I was a trailblazer. And so I don't need to, uh, I don't need to be in the game in that way anymore. Right. So they would let me, they would let me question. Uh, they Zay and Zim and and my whole idea was like I have no problem with these pronouns, but I can only see what you're presenting to me, and then I can go from there. Exactly. And and that's just one idea that was being presented at that time. You know, th- as th- these are important things just to start to discuss and talk about it's it well it's just it's this lack of context and it's it's also it's part of this not feeding the tree on a spiritual on the spiritual front and i i understand coming from the same generation gen x as you you know we came in with this idea of uh, a certain ideal of course we came in under certain planetary influences yeah, as well that's a very good point. That's true. And I certainly wanted to restructure things, and I still do. I think we do need a restructuring. I don't like the idea of overlords. At this moment, I think we'll wrap up. And in, in the second segment, I this is the segment I wanted to get into, the idea of love. Sure. And, sure. and blood. 
and all that in that revelation 16 okay wonderful right on (laughs) so we'll wrap this up can you tell us where people can find you yeah, they can definitely go to my website, which is uh, Um I've written an extensive amount of articles. They can also just Google like Craig Williams, Golgotha, Craig Williams Tantra. And of course, they can find me on Facebook and Instagram because everyone likes to use those now as well, too. Yeah, I love your Instagram. So no, thank you very much.